The Perfect Ten with Steve Allen, voice of the NRL and six-time Radio Award winner. Yeah, welcome to The Perfect Ten. And just in time for the National Rugby League Grand Final, Mark Ogre O'Mealy, one of my favourite all-time players. And even if I do say so myself, this episode is amazing. We cover so much territory. Ogre was driven his entire career being told that he wasn't good enough. He was a dad at the age of 16 with his beautiful wife Sandy, burst on the scene at the North Sydney Bears, then won a premiership with a superstar side in 2004 at the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs. He talks candidly about that period and really believes he should have won two or three grand finals. He also had one of the most incredible State of Origin debuts in rugby league history and talks about that series, as well as Alfie Langer coming back to win it for the Queenslanders in the decider. And Ogre names his best 17 that he played with that's chock full of Clive Churchill medal winners. Right now though, let's relive some of the highlights of Marco O'Mealy and this features commentary from Phil Gus Gould. Want to get physical with Marco O'Mealy? He can hurt you two ways. He dishes out more punishment running the ball than any footballer in the game. I've seen it a number of times over the last couple of years where players have wanted to take him on. And O'Mealy loves a tough run. He likes to bring it back from kickoffs. He likes to hit it up from tap kicks. And all those that swarm in and try and hit him, well, he dishes out plenty of punishment. And many of them end up on the broad of their back. Marco O'Mealy loves to get physical, but there's another string to his bow. He can also play smart. We saw that in the semi-final against the Broncos. When they swarm in to hit him, he's still got the short pass that can put a teammate into gap, pull their pants down and create a try. And in Marco Mealy, I see is that the real crucial element with the Australian side. Analysis of Mark Ogaro Mealy from legendary coach Phil Guskul. You know, the more I think about it, the more I realise that Ogre is possibly one of the greatest signings in Bulldogs history. There's no doubt the Bulldogs in the early 2000s had an outstanding pack, but Ogre added a real menace and intimidation factor in that rock star pack that won the Premiership. And he's a larger-than-life character that we all love in rugby league. Just before we get to Marco Mealy, as always, we do this thanks to our proud naming rights partner, Robson Civil Projects, a third-generation company on the New South Wales Central Coast. And also since our last podcast... Robson Civil Projects were sponsors of the Townsville Super Sprint. So huge exposure for Robson Civil Projects. And they're also pumped this weekend. They sponsor Michael Caruso, who's racing this weekend at Bathurst. So let's get down to business. Mark O'Mealy, welcome to the Perfect Ten. How are you, Steve? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm fantastic, mate. I think I told you on the weekend that Dave Fairley's by far the most popular podcast that we've done so far on the perfect 10 and you were shocked yeah always no no it's a bit of a laugh daisy's good great fellow played with daisy when i started uh, he was very uh very good to me as a kid we've got uh, so much territory to cover but um let's start with a young mark o'mealy tell me about growing up on the central coast yeah born in the country at west wallong lived in a little small town called bar medman uh moved up here to lake memora in year three so uh got a bit of an opportunity to play rugby league at memora maulers the now northern lake warriors yeah, just grew up Central Coast. Rugby league was was it. You know, come from the country, everyone wanted to play rugby league, and and uh, Central Coast has provided you know great opportunities in, in rugby league. So it's all you've ever known. Yeah, pretty much. Grew up uh, in an era with Parramatta, so just hand me downs of wearing Parramatta jumpers and Ray Price and you know, Brett Kenny's, etc. So um, rugby league was in the, in the DNA. So it was just uh, it was it was always you know a no brainer. 
So you're 39, but you clearly remember 81, 82, 83 and 1986? Not really. Uh, I just remember wearing the gear. So, uh, yeah, you know, it was just something you grow into, everyone tells you. My first grand final, I remember, was uh, Tigers-Canberra. So, you know, a little bit later. It's a fairly good grand final to remember. One of the best of all time. Yeah, it was. Uh, and Canberra, you know, going very well at that stage. And that, that probably kicked them off into a bit of a dynasty that they built. As a young man on the Central Coast, uh, are there people you look up to that are playing rugby league? Have you got some heroes at the time locally? It was actually, it was a bit different because you always, you know, had these stories of, you know, people playing and the NRL that lived around here and that. But... North Sydney relocated to the Central Coast, so I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity through that to play Harold Matts. Uh, you know, I tried at Newcastle, tried at a couple of clubs in Sydney and, and couldn't quite crack it, where because Norse had moved to the coast, they gave me an opportunity. So for me, it was more trying to, trying to get a look in because, you know, come from the country, it was always hard. It's incredible that a Mark O'Mealy misses out with a couple of clubs when you look back on your illustrious career. Yeah, I was told I was too raw, needed to work on my uh, skills and ability and, uh, you, know, just, you know, stick with it. Uh, like I said, it was just, you know, really good. I was in the right spot at the right time. Wayne Lampkin was refing a game at North Sydney Oval in a Sydney North team and, and Dave Warwick was recruitment officer there. <laughs> just very lucky to get an opportunity uh, and they took me on round five in a Harold Matz comp of a small season. I think it was 12 or 14 games back then. So I was very lucky for that opportunity. What's Mark O'Mealy like at school? Yeah, mate, I went to school North Lakes High School. Grew up there. I used to just, you know, ride my bike to the train station, get to North Sydney, go to train and catch a train down there until they relocated. So, look, school, I was always good at metalwork, woodwork, science, maths, the stuff you wanted to, but always sort of struggled in English and, and uh, spelling with your, and grammar and stuff. But, you know, I re-educated myself in that later in life. Are there influential teachers? Are you playing schoolboy rugby league? Uh, are you close to making state or Australian schoolboy sides? No, it's pretty hard. That's why it gets frustrating. Like schoolboy footy, it was so political. Uh, you know, my dad and, and, and my family weren't didn't play rugby league on the coast and didn't have any grassroots like, ingrained. I found all the sort of school sort of rep stuff you had to. Uh, you know, it was who your dad was or if your dad trained or whatever. So I, I could even make Central Coast Harold Matt's team, which was pretty poor. And they didn't make the finals, but Norse ended up picking me up. Uh, that's why when I come back here, I tried to ingrain myself and try and help out with the Central Coast teams. You know, give everyone a fair go. Sounds like a fairly familiar story. I mean, Andrew Ryan, your Bulldogs captain that hoists the trophy in 2004, he struggled to make rep teams when he was growing up in Dubbo. Yeah, mate, it's, it is. It's just how rugby league works. Um, unfortunately, it's got better and it's got a lot better, but it still is. It's, it, it's, a, it's a tough one to, to get in. And one person's opinion doesn't mean, and I tell young kids this all the time, my opinion you know, doesn't mean for you guys to put your head down and, and quit. Just because my opinion, you know, uh, mightn't be what you want to hear, don't give up. Keep trying, keep listening, and, and find this person with the same opinion. I was lucky. I had Wayne Lampkin that seen something in me, give me an opportunity. I played for New South Wales that year. Couldn't make Harold Matts in the Central Coast. Struggled to make country champs. Schoolboys football, North Sydney North, and that going through that weren't getting picked because selectors are there from every club telling the teachers who to pick. Very, very political sort of environment and scenery, and. I just sort of kept my head down and kept plugging away and, you know, I had a kid at 16 as well. So, you know, for me, I had to make it because I had to make something for my life. Um, I wanted to do the best I could for my family. Tell us more about that, being a teenage parent. Yeah, look, obviously didn't plan it. Um, well, I hope I didn't. or hope the missus didn't. But, uh, you know, obviously didn't plan it. Uh, Nick was probably the best thing that happened to me. It made me focus and 
direct everything towards you know what I wanted to do. So for me, it was you know everyone would say, "Oh, you can't do this, you can't do that." I'd drive me 13, 17 k's on a push bike to get a train to get to North Sydney to to do all my extras. I'd train all off season. I, I, I'd keep driving. I'd work during the day. I, even when I started in NRL, I was working two days a week playing. Back then, when everyone was on, on Super League contracts, which was a bit uh, a bit astonishing, the money they were getting compared to what I was getting, but. Um, in saying that, I wouldn't change a thing. I knew we talk about Sandy on this podcast and you know, what an incredible woman she is and what an influence she's been on you both on and off the field. But I didn't think we'd talk about her so early. I mean, this is your childhood sweetheart. And now, you know, in 2020, you guys are inspirational to so many people uh, because of the relationship you've had. Look, we're like any couple. Made a decision early and we're both stubborn, both strong-minded, and and um, we done the right thing by Nick, and, and you know obviously we love each other, and we've we, we've kept focused and tried to achieve what we could. Family probably come second fiddle for you know 17 years while I was playing rugby league, but um, you know now it's, it's about giving back to the family, and you know the wife's got her own career now, and and uh, the boys are doing their own thing, so I can uh, you know I can try and help where I can in the community. All right, let's talk more about Sandy a little bit later on. You make your debut with North Sydney, 1999, against uh, the team I supported as a kid, the Western West. Suburbs Magpies. What, what's that memory like? Is it vivid? No, not really. Uh, you know, first game, played at uh, Parramatta Stadium. West was getting, Campbelltown was getting uh, renovated. So, no, I've come out, you know, it was unlimited interchange, uh, different body shapes. It was about 117, 18 kilos then. You just come on, go as hard as you can and, and get off. Uh, I remember, you know, West were probably like us, a little bit down on troops and a bit weak that season, but it is what it is. I got to play the NRL debut. Who's in your North Sydney team that day? Uh, you know, you Gary Larson's, Josh Stewart's, Dave Fairley's, Jason Taylor's, Ben Eikens, Jamie Goddard's, you know, there's heaps of them. You know, uh, Paul Stringer. There's so many names there. We had you know, Brett Dallas, Nigel Roy, Matt Sears. I can just keep rattling and rattling. We had a quality, quality team at North. You know, that's a team that we all love. Like, we still wish the Bears were in the comp. How do you feel? Look, it was really hard. Like, I wanted to play my whole career at one club. Uh, and when Norse come here, I was so passionate. I'm pretty loyal. If, if you're my friend, I'm, I'll be loyal to my whole life. And, and that's how I've always been. Where it was really hard, then we merged with, with Manly, become the Northern Eagles. That didn't work. And then I found a home at the Dogs. So it's pretty tough rugby league because it's it sort of changed in that era of becoming more a business and more about you know profits and losses and uh as a player you have to adapt to that and and probably probably uh, readjust each year after after you put your heart and soul in have that six weeks off readjust and see what um, who you represent the next year just speaking of the bears did you know that when you retired as a 32 year old you were the last of the mohicans you were the last of the North Sydney Bears. Yeah, I knew that, and I, I wore that flag for a while. So I was just very lucky to, very lucky to um, debut so young. Um, Hino was there too, but he was in Harold Matt, so uh, he kept kicking on and playing. But he didn't play in the middle; he hit on the edge, old Hino. But uh, no, it's um, you know North's done well. We had some really good development teams. We won, uh, I think, the last team that won at North Sydney. The girls lost on the weekend in the grand final to the Central Coast. So. It's a, you know, it's a great development area between Coast and North Sydney, but I think the last team we won was uh, Jersey Flag, uh, 96, 97 it might have been, and they're nearly all Coast boys. What are your recollections of Greg Florimo, the greatest bear of all time? Well, Flo had went to, uh, had gone over to Super League the year I played NRL, but uh, I remember we'd have you know, North Sydney Oval every Tuesday would come in, do the presentation, and man of the matches, everyone would have to get up and 
and say a speech and and you know Flo used to go up and run the uh, the session and um, get up and talk and he'd talk to us about you know people you know bad mouthing you or fans getting into you just you know point at the scoreboard etc to you know just ignore it focus out so from then as a kid you always seen leadership from the older players so they always helped you we we trained as a club as well we'd do all the middles and that would train together on a Tuesday night so I'd be training with Josh Stewart and Steve Trindle and Dave Fairley and Gary Larson who's just played Origin or you know you know we even had Darren Fritz there when I was a kid at North so I'd be lucky enough to be at training and uh, do ball work with these guys playing NRL and Origin in Australia. Where do you think your steely determination and drive comes from? Like this part of Mark O'Mealy that never wants to be beaten on the footy field. Oh, look, I was really close. I had a family member. He was off work for a lot of time with, with some injuries through work. And he uh, instilled a lot of grit and mental toughness into me. You know, he worked a lot on, you know, other people ain't doing this. Let's do stuff that other people ain't. Well, I used to train Christmas morning. I'd get up and, you know, ride 50Ks or go for a run. or do a run, ride, run. I wanted to do more than anyone else. And I wanted to do more than anyone else was thinking I was doing. So I could be in front of everyone. So that sort of attitude was instilled to me, instilled very early probably around 14, 15, so always had a good work ethic and good training and I think that's a bit of my country upbringing. Dad's the youngest of 13, so big family, so I had a lot of family around to support and help me. When you talk about work ethic, Big Dave Fairley, BDF, as I like to call him. Big Loaf, we used to call him. It was him and Nate Miles who had the biggest head. Oh, he certainly got that, no doubt about that. But he's got you in the top five players of all time in terms of how hard you worked in training. It's an incredible list. So he's got yourself, JT... Danny Badiris, Nathan Highmarsh is in there as well. Uh, they're four of the top five that he named. And he's probably got himself in there because he got absolutely everything out of his own ability. Would you agree? Yeah, Daisy was, uh, like I said, it was great. He looked after us when I was a kid and, and come down. I was so lucky to have so many people that uh, once you broke that door down and got an opportunity that wanted to help. Where originally it was so hard getting in there, it felt like I'm not going to get in there. And then when I did, you had guys like that coming down, making you feel comfortable, showing you the ways. So it's pretty clear you got a point to prove once you arrive on the scene. I always had a point to prove. I was always told I weren't good enough, I wasn't going to make it. And a lot of it was all, you know, local league and weren't part of rep committees or my dad didn't run the, you know, wasn't the president, etc. Very hard. Very hard. The easiest way to do it, do it on the field. No one can stop me on the field. I can be my own destiny on the field and I can I can have my own power and influence. That was probably why I had a lot of hatred there. A lot of my goals, I've still got my goal books at home and a lot of it was very explicit in what I wanted to prove. Uh, I used to read newspapers. I used to look at, uh, you know, what was on Channel 9 or, you know, people would say you can't do this or can't do that or Nathan Brown would tell me that, you know, laterally my defence wasn't good enough and, you know, drop Rollsies and... And Luke Bailey's was better at um, at Dragon, so I'd go and tear him apart. So that was what I'd look at. So at the end, I'd thrive off stuff like that. I was going to say, did you watch The Last Dance with Michael Jordan? Uh, because you're like Jordan. Like Jordan would make it personal. I did watch The Last Dance, and I thought this is probably why you know, I was so successful, because very similar to Jordan. That was, uh, and I think that's the mentality of any sports person. Like, you know, I'm nowhere near as good as him, but. I uh, probably didn't have the talent and ability and skill, but I had the attitude to uh, you know, not let, any, let anyone get over top of me. Yeah, so when most people are reluctant to give the opposition any ammunition, you're the guy, particularly when you're at Canterbury, that you're going to call someone out and make it personal. And, man, uh, in a rock star pack, you're the guy that's larger than life and drawing a line in the sand. Yeah, and the boys always followed me. Like, they come up, I was a little bit 
you know, they were actually a bit older than me. But I'd started younger, so I'd already uh, had a bit, few more runs on the board. So for me, I was always the leader and I had a family and, and the boys didn't. So I had to lead and show them how to do it. Yeah, it's it's hard. Like, I took a lot of things upon myself, and by the end of it, the boys knew that, you know, if you got in my head, and uh, I, I could pretty much, um, you know, I had a point to prove. So, you know, boys would start winding me up and say, "Oh, do you hear what this guy said about you or that guy?" But mate, we brought in the rule. Oh, I brought it in. Don't go and talk to the opposition before a game. Don't say a word to them. When they're in the scrum talking to you, grin at them, laugh at them. Tell you, there's nothing worse than a bloke going, oh, slow down there, young fella. Oh, take it easy, have a rest. Mate, that's mentally weak. I, I'd get up our blokes. We had a wheel of death. They'd have to spin Malcolm's penalties, four and fives. We weren't doing any of that. We had to We instill our own discipline because we had our own standards. And I ain't there to talk and make friends. I'm there to do a job. I'll talk to you after the game, but I won't talk to you before it. I wouldn't even talk to friends three days before. That was just how it was. Um, you know, there's no friends out in the field. You want to get a run-up on everyone you play against. Heaps of little things like that we used to do and you try and instill. And, and that way now I see guys going high-fiving each other. It's like, mate, what are you doing? Make a uh, stand for your team. Like, you're out there leading that team. Like, you're not out there high-fiving. Best friends, you can't be everyone's, you know, everyone's best friend. You've got to be out there to do your job and then be, you can be good mates off the field. I remember first seeing you at uh, a great venue, La Montage. It was a Canterbury presentation night and you'd just come across to the Bulldogs. Who lured you there? Tell us more about you arriving at Canterbury and what you knew about the footy club. Nothing at all. Uh, wife was a Canterbury supporter. I wasn't. You know, grew up through Parramatta, like I said. Didn't really follow anyone. Didn't really follow any teams because... You know, you're at North, you probably watch the North and went to Northern Eagles, so it was hard as a player. You know, I remember at high school, I think it was 98 when they made the final. Uh, I remember everyone, you know, at uh, school and that, the big buzz about Canterbury. Other than that, I didn't know too much about Canterbury. I'd been to Melbourne, been to North Queensland, uh, spoke to Roosters, been nearly everywhere, and then the manager took me over to uh, have a chat with uh, Barry Nelson, Bobby Hagen at... Um, at Canterbury, a bell boy drove in there, went, all right, sweet, looks all right. I shook Bobby Hagen and Barry Nelson's hand on the way out, and the manager goes, congratulations, you've signed three years. And I said, what? And he goes, you shook their hand. And I said, mate, I just shook their hand and being polite. He goes, you shook their hand, mate. You've signed a contract. <laughs> You're honouring your contract. I didn't tell the missus. Then I'm getting phone calls, invited to go to the, the finals games. Um, Canterbury were playing in, and I'm trying to keep it quiet. And I went, no, nah. you know, I've... I, shook their hand then I'll, I'll, I'll do the honourable thing I grew up to be respectful and honourable so I uh, went to Canterbury but didn't tell the wife for two weeks I think a letter came in about a medical and she went what's this so um, that, that was a bit different so now I get frustrated with players that renege on contracts so you shake someone's hand you, you do you know you honour that contract. That's how I believe, and that's what I see. So you're telling me when you went to Melbourne and you went to Queensland, you, you didn't shake hands afterwards? I did, but it was uh, it was uh, the manager goes, mate, you just shook his hand, you just agreed. So I'll, le- I'll leave it to your imagination of the stitch-up or probably that happened, but it worked out for the best. Oaks, I read Petro Sivanasiva's book, and I really loved it. And, yeah, he spoke about that superstar pack that's in Brisbane, he also said that he was promised all along that he'd be looked after and he felt like he was never really looked after and in the end he goes to Penrith for a couple of years. How about you at Canterbury? Do you feel like you got what you were worth through that period? Made a lot of sacrifices to play in that team. 
and I left, you know, um, when new boards come in and, and they didn't know the sacrifices I'd met and the cap was in different situations, so I had to make my decision to move. Uh, and look, do I regret moving? No, I love my time at the Roosters. I love my time at the Bulldogs. Do I regret making pay cuts and that? Look, I got to play with the best team, you know, that I've ever played with. You know, we won 17 straight pender for going to beat that record this, you know, this weekend. So, uh, you know, I've got no complaints. Ivan Cleary made some comments recently saying he feels like the Bulldogs record shouldn't stand. How do you feel about that? I'm not going to comment on that because I've been asked a thousand times. Yeah. Tell us about the 2014. Look, we'd been stripped, rebuilt. Uh, I've said this a thousand times. I don't know what other players are in the, in the club. I don't want to. No one should know what everyone's getting paid. Salary cap issues were there. Uh, we'd, had, you know, we'd had to bring through a lot of young kids. And you could feel we were building and there was something special. Uh, we, you know, folks at the top there and grain, you know, you know, everyone trains hard, works hard, plays hard, etc. We had a pretty good culture. Uh, went through, uh, you know, it was really tough. I remember playing Penrith, and I was the first time I'd ever nearly give up in a game, and uh, it was to make the grand final. And I remember it went for Corey Hughes riding me and, and keep getting up me and in my ear. I was, you know, nearly done. I was cooked. But um, that was a special year. We got there. We achieved, uh, you know, our goal. You know, it felt like it had been taken away from us in 2002. Well, everyone talks about our team in 2002, but we're a very young team. There was a lot of lot of players there, but there was a lot of, a lot of very young players that were probably probably found it hard to understand what had happened. A lot of people talk about the spine, you know, six, seven, nine, and one. But if you look at Canterbury's spine, I think you probably find there's only one Origin player in that group. You've got Luke Patton, who never played a rep game. I think he might have played country, but. One of the he'll be like a Mitchell Orbison, one of the best players, to, you know, a clubman that to never play rep football. Like you know, Mitchell Orbison's been outstanding. What he's done, he's you know, only played country as well. I think. Yeah, that's my point. I mean, there's so much focus on the spine, and yet that's what I keep saying. One person's opinion doesn't mean give up, and that's why you've got guys like Mitchell Orbison breaking records, Luke Patton, etc. Like these guys are legends of the game and what they've achieved because of one person's opinion. That's whether or not to Origin coach, Australian coach, doesn't mean give up. Then your seven has got probably one of the best short kicking games that we've ever seen. I, I think someone quoted the other day that he had a season where it never went dead in goal. Wouldn't surprise me. Shifty uh, had, yeah, probably the best kicking game I've seen. I remember Joey talking to us about his banana kicks and he'd bring it back. He, uh, off the cuff, he was outstanding. As long as we were getting forward and, and burning metres up and running with intent and purpose, he, he would just get off the back of it. When Shifty tried to... Um, Played a structure and set stuff up. It didn't go as well. So that's what our game's got back to now. So it was good to see him at Canterbury this year. Our game's got back to more. It's less structure, scoring tries. It's more about you know, earning the right to play a bit of football, to find some space, to flood the middle. The, the game's on another 360, and that's why some coaches are struggling, I believe, because they don't know how to coach unstructured football. Let's talk about your nine. You had Nugget, who was probably your best defender, and then you had Corey, who was a halfback put at nine, who... Very intelligent, smart, and, and good vision, and uh, was fit. So, you know, we had a good balance between these guys. I never played. I remember Corey Hughes was at the Stain Bar in, in Cronulla, and uh, I was at Roosters at the time, and I rang him and said, Mate, what are you doing? You've just been announced in the city team. He goes, Oh, whatever. And Corey never had a mobile. So I've had to ring the Sting Bar itself to say, Mate, then his mum's ringing, and we're all ringing him. So I drove up there and got him, and he goes, yeah, what, 31-year-old playing his first rep jersey. What, am I going to play Origin over Robbie Farr? And he's laughing and carrying on. But uh, it was unreal to see him 
get a rep jump because these guys had been, you know, we've been in the top four for a massive period of the game, dominating for, you know, over eight years, whatever the dogs, and he was doing it before I got there. So, um, you know, it was really good to uh, see the guys like they get a rep jumper. You see Sonny make his debut. We had a good culture. We used to go and watch Harold Matz and Ball and all that play and SG Ball. We'd go and watch them. So we knew our kids coming through and we trained uh, club sessions at the Dogs and we had uh, a, a good trainer there, Gary Carton, who used to mentally prepare all the young blokes to have them ready to come through. So, yeah, I was lucky enough to play with, you know, Nate Miles, Sonny Bill Williams, Rosa Tassie, Jonathan Thurston, all them kids come through. And, and for me, my goal was I want these kids to, you know, go, wow, how good was it to play with Mark Amelie? So every time when a young kid would debut, I'd want to make sure they had a good game, played well, felt comfortable, and we'd go, how good's that? That was my personal goal as a sort of senior player. We can't talk about Canterbury without talking about the great coach. The late, great Steve Fox. Yeah, and, and like I said, we, we're a really young team. As, as I've mentioned a lot of times, we had to, um, you know, a lot of us had moved away from family, had no family around, etc. And folks, you give us that sort of role model, that father figure. And, you know, I remember going, he hasn't spoken to me for six weeks. And they go, that's good because it means you're doing everything right. So if he hadn't spoken to you and that in the off season, we wouldn't touch a footy after Christmas. I'd be going, are we touching a footy? And they go, no, nah, we're just doing triathlons running, we're just getting fit. And then after after Chris, he would throw a football in. So all this stuff was new, but he'd show you respect by leaving you alone. And then if, if you were sort of struggling, he'd be pulling you in and out. So you wanted to work hard so he wouldn't have to talk to you. So we would sort of step aside. Um, hardly ever seen him angry. Uh, if we were probably performing poor, you could see it was the disappointment in his face and when he spoke to us at halftime or, you know, off-field. Uh, if, if there was stuff at training or you know things that happened, you could see the disappointment. But yeah, I can hardly remember him blowing up or, or losing, you know, losing the shed. But everyone just had so much respect and all looked up to him. It's incredible. He wouldn't talk to you for six weeks. I mean, sometimes I never want to hear from the boss. Just leave me alone to do what I do well. And that was the philosophy with Folksy. Yeah, and you know the boys. I remember Brave came to me, mate. Don't worry about it. If you're doing something wrong, he'll, he'll grab you. So. Uh, and it's probably good. Rugby league's a long year, and and uh, you don't want to be talking footy all year. And I think he, his uh, systems out in place work really well. What about that grand final night against your nemesis, the Roosters? And you know, you win sixteen thirteen. Our magic scores a try, but there's a tackle right near the end that Canterbury may have lost in the last thirty seconds. Yeah, Andrew Ryan game. You know, a lot of people forget that it's probably only come up the last five years. How crucial that tackle was. Game was all, you know, all but done, and then Mick Crocker finds a bit of room. If it weren't for that, you know, desperation, and that's, you know, as we spoke about earlier, Bobcat come through a, and you know, a, a tough environment too. Like he had his bags packed, ready to leave. If it weren't for Peter Sharp, that, that um, kept him at um, Parramatta. Very similar to me. Peter Sharp was a guy when I was at Northern Eagles that helped me a lot. So you know, them good people around you help you, and then that. Uh, mentality or, or that that grit that you learn, you know, never to give up. You know, obviously Bobcat, you know, he was one of our leaders and and and, and worked hard. He had to come through as well when he came from Barra. He was playing reserve grade. He was playing off the bench, and um, you know, a year later here he is, our captain in the grand final. Yeah, and that that's a famous story, isn't it? He was at the bus stop ready to go home at Parramatta, and then one year later, he's playing in the NRL. Yeah, it's uh, you know we played Origin debut together in two thousand and one. Uh, and I remember saying to him, mate, you've got to come over to the dogs, you'll love it. 
Uh, I think there was a bit of head noise of that happening at Para, and I, I think you know by getting his ear, getting in folks his ear, and uh, you know I think it was really good what what happened to the club. There still is some head noise, I think, at Parramatta, mate. I want to talk about Origin and making your debut, but uh, just one final question about Canterbury. And I was lucky enough to interview Steve Folks after the 2004 Grand Final at Belmore, and I asked him the question about you know can you create a dynasty, and he said there was a window to win two or three. What went wrong? Yeah, look, that was one of the reasons I left as well. Uh, I seen the writing on the wall. Uh, we were out. I was picking boys up Wednesdays, Thursday nights. We probably enjoyed ourselves too much, you know. Um, we needed to, um, you know, I needed to reset. Success sometimes kills you. Where we didn't balance it properly enough, we probably, you know, two were there. 06, we should have won. Thanks, Mason. Giving the webkey a mouthful at half time. You know, things like that. Uh, and we had our opportunities, and, and um, we missed them. But, yeah, one grand final, pretty lucky to, to win one. But, uh, yeah, we, we did have a missed opportunity there, and I say that a lot of times. You know, I could have, you know, should have won three. Let's talk origin. Yep. Man, you have one of the greatest origin debuts the world has ever seen. And also, is that the night that you're rubbing the Dankarub into your bald head? <laughs> I do that every night. So. <laughs> no, every game I do that. Uh yeah, look, I was very lucky. You know, I wanted to play Origin, right or wrong. Got a crack. Uh, you know, Freddie didn't even know my name. He called me Max on the field. You know, make a break, put Freddie through. Got to do what I wanted, you know, loved. And then and then as soon as, you know, that hype's done, you're back at ANZ Stadium playing against um, Broncos for a decider and they bring back Alfie Langer. So, uh, yeah, the, the roller coaster of the New South Wales Rugby League, you know the highs and lows are outstanding, but yeah, it was certainly something I was proud of. Um, they got the record as well for most meters were middle and all this stuff. It was awesome. What is that stage like? Take us inside the cauldron. Um, <laughs> it just felt like I was home. I just loved it. Uh, it just felt like the survival of the fittest. So the footy field is your sanctuary. Yeah, I feel home. That's where I feel probably normal. <laughs> Uh, normal because I'm powerful and uh, I know what I can control. Uh, outside that footy field, you, there's not much you can control. You're up against a pack that's got Webke, Petro Sivanasiva, Gordon Tallis, Andrew G, Kevin Campion. I mean, it's a colossal battle that you've got to try to win that arm wrestle somehow. Yeah, I mean, I remember it. I was bugging. I was about to give up and Freddie's yelling at me, Max, Max, hit it up, go again, Max. And I just remember... Running, I looked at Webby and he's going to me, he's just as stuffed as you are. I looked at Webkey and he's sort of stumbling. And somehow, I don't think I've stepped in my life, somehow I went through and Freddie was beside me. So, uh, and put him over. But, mate, it's just a battle of the fittest. Like, it's so brutal. It's so mentally you're gone. And, and that's why you need your halves riding you. You need your halves telling you what to do. I didn't care he's calling me Max. I was just happy he was talking to me. Absolutely. The game that Alfie Langer does come back, in the end, they cream you up in the Queensland capital. Yeah, I think we scored in the first minute. Um, Gerd scored in the first minute. It looked like we were going to pump him, and Alfie just pulled us to pieces. Uh, yeah, it wasn't a, a good night. So that's what I was saying, the roller coaster, highs and lows of origin. You feel it because you're playing for the whole state, and if you don't feel it, then you shouldn't be playing origin. And before Queensland go on their run from 2006 onwards, you were part of a New South Wales team that went three in a row. Yeah, and we had a draw in there too. Yeah, pretty lucky. Got a couple of rings in the safe at home. Uh, pretty lucky. I think we earned them. It was pretty hard work. But uh, yeah, I, I was part of the 06 game. 
as well that we lost, which we started, thought we were going to win, and uh, Lockie scored at the end. But that was the start of Paul Gallon's, I think. Unfortunately, that was Paul Gallon's first run, and I think um, we handed the baton over, and they had that... Uh, Queensland had that great team come through. Actually, I was master of ceremonies that night down in Melbourne at Dockland Stadium. That's where the game was played. Yeah, I still don't think I was offside when I took an intercept. But uh, I think that was a turning point. Nah, you know, that's just origin. Anything can happen. It goes from end to end to end to end. And one little lapse in concentration, you know, the, the best players find out. So how does origin compare to you to playing a test match? Origin's the hardest game you'll ever play. It's the highest intensity, hardest game you'll play and, and I'm pretty sure every player will agree with that. You mentioned about the Parramatta teams in the 80s. What about, here's a key question, I've spoken to a lot of people before catching up with you. Did you ever watch Blocker Roach in action because you become like a larger than life character in rugby league and did that come from Blocker? Did it come from somebody else through the 1980s? Oh, no, I I looked at Paul Harrigan, I look, looked up at, I wanted to run you know, I wanted to defend and play like, like Chief. And um, and then I looked at Spud, and Spud used to run hard. And I thought, well, I'm going to run hard. I'm going to try and tackle like Chief, and I'll become the best front row in the game. So that's where it was. Uh, it didn't really, like I said, I, I was always pretty serious. I guess Mason used to make me uh, try and get me out of my shell. But when I feel comfortable, mate, you'll see a different side of me. And that's where we leave part one with Mark Ogre O'Mealy, the enforcer from the Bulldogs 2004 Premiership winning side and just a champion bloke off the field as well. In part two, Ogre talks about the great coaches and also names his best 17. And the perfect 10, all thanks to Robson Civil Projects. Shout out to Scotty, who's been with the business almost 30 years. Congratulations, mate. That's what Robson's is all about. A family-run business, a third-generation company on the New South Wales Central Coast. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Part two with Mark O'Mealy about to drop any moment on iTunes and Spotify. And we'll catch you soon. The Perfect 10.